Generating traffic and sales can be a challenge for online merchants. But selling on the Walmart marketplace puts your products in front of millions of customers who shop on walmart.com. And right now, sellers who join Walmart Marketplace can save up to 50% on referral and fulfillment fees for the first 90 days. So get started today. Head over to marketplace.walmart.com savings. That's marketplace.walmart.com savings. Welcome to e-commerce conversations. A podcast by Practical E-Commerce. What is going on, Internet? Eric Banholtz back again with another e-commerce conversations. Hope all is going well on the other side of the internet. On the other side of the internet for me right now is Kayvon Kuzani. Welcome, man. Hey, uh, thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, you're with Bells of Steel, which I would imagine you might be one of the richest people on e-commerce right now <laughs> <laughs> selling gym equipment. Yeah, theoretically right now I'm I'm pretty rich. There's a lot in the air that I could be uh, very poor soon, but yeah, it's going good. Well, I should say, you know, we're all rich in life. So like it, this show's not about, you know, the monetary value or get rich quick or anything like True. that, but I just know as a uh, weightlifter myself how challenging it's been to get equipment. Pretty much everywhere was sold out. Were you guys included in that? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And it it hasn't really stopped. In fact, this will be our biggest month ever. So the train just keeps on going. Yeah. You know, when I get into e-commerce, the things that I think about when starting a company, one of them is not shipping heavy weights, like literally the things that are designed to be as heavy as possible. Are you getting eaten alive? I mean, like, obviously you figured out a way to work that in, but how do you manage that shipping process? Okay. So it's, <laughs> it's a little tricky. UPS has like quite high thresholds for their package size and weight limits. So quite a few of our products are designed like literally to fit within those, within like an inch and like a pound. So a lot goes into the packaging design. And then as far as like the physical fulfillment of it, I use a 3PL in the States in Indianapolis. And then I can say for my warehouse with my own staff in in Calgary in Canada, pretty much everyone who works for us is like, or in the warehouse, or in just in general, are pretty into lifting. So, you know, most of the warehouse guys are big physical people. Yeah, we just kind of deal with it. It, it, And it's almost a competitive, or not almost, it is a competitive advantage because that difficulty in the logistics of it keeps a lot of people out of our space. I'd say even including Amazon, who can't fulfill the kind of products that we're fulfilling because it's outside of their scope, I guess. Well, I wanted to touch base a little bit more on that because you're Canadian, you're up in Canada. I've always been intrigued by Canadians because it's such a small market compared to America. Like, what is it, like an eighth of the size or something like that? A a tenth. Uh, We've got about the same population as California. Yeah. So is it pretty much a requirement to serve Americans or is that a smaller portion of your business or what is the strategy behind that? Yeah. In Canada, it was, again, it was a competitive advantage. We've been around since 2010 and there was just nobody up here really doing it. So, you know, I mean, imagine being the first guy in in California to, to sell bumper plates on the internet. You know, we just were able to capture a ton of the market and, you know, get a, a lot of organic Google traffic. Amazon's, you know, not nearly at the same scale as it is in the U.S. And so we were just able to, you know, capture a smaller market, but capture a ton of the market and a lot easier and a lot less expensive. So to this day, our split is about 70% 
Canada and 30% the US, but that's rapidly changing towards the US. So yeah, it just, it's a lot easier up here, I'll say. You know, kind of going, circling back to the shipping thing, whenever we ship into Canada, it's an arm and a leg. Like it's just tremendously cost prohibitive to serve our Canadian customers. Is it the same way going from Canada down in America or do you have like a mule that will like <laughs> get, the, get the products across the border and then ship from there? Like I've had guests who actually do that very strategy. Yeah, it's interesting. I was just talking to somebody about this the other day. It's a lot easier and cheaper to ship from Canada to the U.S., than it is the other way around. I don't know if that's just because so many Canadian companies serve customers in the US and there's just better infrastructure for it. And I don't know, but there's also actually a difference in the duty and tax regulations for whatever reason in the US, if you send anything from anywhere in the world that's less than $800 in value, it basically goes right through it. I mean, I think customs can still inspect it if they want, but I've never had one. It just goes through, there's no duty, there's no nothing. If you send it from the US to Canada, they'll ding you on anything and everything and they'll just make up, you know, they'll just be like, I I won't order stuff from the States direct because you'll just end up with these, you know, crazy duties to bills or it gets stuck at customs for three weeks or it never gets through at all. So there's a lot less friction sending from here down to the US. With our products though, we we don't do that. It's just, it's too expensive and it's too heavy. So we have two bases. So you have products, are they manufactured internationally or do you manufacture them in Canada? Yeah, everything's made in China and uh, more recently Vietnam, and it all comes in containers direct to Calgary and direct to Indianapolis. And yeah, it's all it's all made overseas. Yeah, so you'll be able to split that order in so you don't have it all coming into Canada and then splitting it from Canada. Into- That's right. Yeah, we're doing enough containers now that we can just ship them wherever they need to go. And we're trying to get a couple extra bases, something on the West Coast in the US and something more Eastern in Canada right now. Yeah. So I think of this industry, a lot of big names come to place. Like, how are you able to differentiate your brand, first of all? And I assume everything is sold through your website, Bells of Steel, or are you also a multi-channel company? So the, the first part of the question, our big unique is not big unique, but I think, yeah, our big unique is best value for the cost. If you give me the amount of money, I will give you the best product that you can get for that money. There's competitors that have, you know, thicker and stronger steel and maybe a bit better fit and finish. But, you know, my barbells will be the best barbell you can get dollar for dollar and so forth. We also do a lot of unique designs and a lot of unique designs that are like inaccessible to kind of home users. There's this, one of our best selling products is called the belt squat machine. And, you know, I think there's myself and one other competitor that sell it for under $2,000 and everything else is just, you know, commercial grade stuff that's very expensive. And then as far as the second part, I don't know if this is still where you're at with Amazon, but we were selling on there in Canada, maybe 10% of our sales before the pandemic hit. And in the US, uh, almost nothing. It's just, it's almost not worth it fighting tooth and nail on that marketplace. And then when the pandemic hit, we were like, I am not giving up a single percentage point to an entity that does absolutely nothing for my brand when there's, you know, like there's just obscene demand. And I don't know if we're really going to go back at all. I just, I really like keeping all those customers on my platform and giving them the best experience and and not having to deal with these um, third-party people. 
Yeah, man, you're singing my uh, my notes. That's right up my alley. I want to talk about a little bit of like your logistics strategy. And, you know, hopefully a lot of our listeners kind of have to deal with what you de- dealt with last year and, and continue to deal with. But just the obscene domain on a product, like how are you able to expedite orders? How are you able to, you know, like prioritize products? How are you able to keep customers happy during that growth? Yeah, we ran into two giant hiccups. I mean, we're still dealing with it. But the first hiccup was that a lot of our supply, like every single thing that I sell, like comes from a specialty supplier. So like I don't really buy from these trade agents or, or, or whatever that kind of aggregate stuff and sell it to you. So if you're buying, you know, barbells, that comes from a factory that only does barbells and nothing else. So some of those factories, we were bigger customers at, like our rack factory and our barbell factory. And some of those, you know, factories we were smaller customer at, like bumper plates and iron plates. And at the beginning of the pandemic, you know, some of the bigger players, and I'm talking, you know, really big players like the, you know, the chain stores of the world just basically came in and gobbled up all the capacity and raw materials. So we had, I think, three of our main suppliers just drop us, just said, see you later, go get your weight plates from somewhere else. And we couldn't really get them anywhere else because nobody was taking on new customers. So I had to set up the entire infrastructure for production of a certain product, the iron weight plates in Vietnam. And I was, as far as I know, I'm the first one to do that and and export. There is some domestic production there, but not much export. So I had to go from the ground up and build that supply chain over there, which took a lot of uh, time, money, and effort. And then for the logistics ends of things, there's severe container shortages from Asia to North America. And so we went from having our nice freight forwarder who we've been working with for years, who just, you know, sets everything up and it comes in and, you know, we don't have to pay for it and for the logistics until it gets here to a frantic scramble of, you know, our dedicated people on the ground in Asia, just calling up different forwarders every day being like you got space you got space you got space and you know the cost of shipping containers if you can get them has i think tripled or quadrupled since the beginning of the pandemic and lots of dirty tricks being played uh people you know selling you vip space on the containers for an extra four thousand dollars so you guaranteed and all this crazy stuff so it's been tough but and we learned the lesson the hard way we were doing a lot of pre-selling so like, okay, this is coming in about in April, so you can buy it now and we're going to ship it to you in April. And we got burned pretty hard when we realized how jammed up our logistics were, you know, with containers sitting in port for weeks, not being able to, to offload. So kind of in the last few months, we've really dialed in our tracking of our containers when we do stuff on pre-order and stuff like that. And we've also dialed in our, our inventory planning and kind of worked out with our existing suppliers like, okay, how do we maximize like your efficiency? Like we buy a hundred SKUs from you. If we buy two SKUs per container, is that going to expedite the manufacturing of this and get us, you know, our core sellers first or whatever? So we've had to completely reshape how we order and how we plan our inventory and logistics. Have you done any price adjustments to your products to manage demand as well? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, we have a guy now we hired recently who, oh man, he must be doing it monthly. We have like a big crazy spreadsheet and he just inputs costs into there and we kind of figure out what's happening because not only is logistics going nuts, steel is going nuts as well. And uh, steel has gone up, I don't know how much, 75% or, or maybe more. So yeah, we're constantly keeping an eye on it and adjusting as needed. Why do you think the demand for steel has gone so high lately? 
I think it's just been from the consumer shift during the pandemic of people just buying more stuff, spending their money on stuff instead of the service sector. So just steel uh, has gone up a bunch. And I believe one of the big steel manufacturers maybe went bankrupt or something. I think there's a lot of reasons, but I would just, yeah, I would probably just say that the absolute mass demand for products has gone up so much. It's just crazy to think that we could have an event like we had where there's a mass amount of people losing their jobs and subsequently see such a boost. I do think there's, you know, a reallocation from bricks and mortar to online retail as well. And I I don't know where people would buy. I literally have no idea where people would buy, you know, bumper plates before online shopping. That's how, you know, like bought into the whole e-commerce space I am. I don't know. It's kind of interesting to see how the market's going. Do you project that to continue happening? Do you foresee that the prices continue to rise or is there going to be a leveling out over time? Like raw steel materials or, or fitness equipment, or I guess everything? I guess I'm more interested in commodities because, you know, one of my speculations is we might be on the beginning stages of an inflationary period, which would affect the way we run our businesses. And I'm just curious if that's something that you're taking into consideration or not. I'm always planning worst case scenario, but I, I think there's going to be a giant service sector, you know, spike after you know, vaccination or, or whatever getting back to normal looks like. But yeah, I really don't know. I mean, at the beginning of this thing, I was certain where we're going to go into a, a deep recession uh, or even depression. And that hasn't really been panning out. So yeah, I, I think the consumer, like the shift from service in general, will people have changed their habits. And overall, it'll be higher than it was before. And of course, e-commerce shopping is going to be higher than before. But I mean, we're going to have a huge shift back to service sector as well, because people are dying to get out and go out to travel and you know go to the movies and live like like they did before so i think there's going to be a big spike but i think overall we're going to be staying high in the retail sector now you guys how many SKUs do you currently have and are they all under your own brand or, or are you reselling any other products i think it's about 200 it's kind of tricky because like we'll have 15 different weights of kettlebells so we'll have different SKUs of kettlebells but it'll just be different weights I think about 200 right now, 100% our own brand, which has been a very conscious decision. I did tinker around in the past with selling other people's stuff. And I just, you know, the margins weren't great. And, you know, there was an extra layer of people to go through if there was defects or warranty. And I just, you know, really focused my site on being curated. And, you know, this is exactly the stuff that you need. There is other variations out there, but I think this is what will suit the majority of people really well in their home gym. So I've always kind of avoided it. And that's your ideal customer then is, is you focus on home gym builders. Is, is that how you always were or were you niched down even more than that? In the beginning when, uh, I mean, probably before my partner, Brian came on board and I was a lot less focused. I just was trying, you know, I'm kind of a sales guy and was very focused on top line revenue, which we all know is a silly number to look at. And I was just trying to flip it any way I could, you know, retail stores, uh, gyms, uh, home gyms, whatever. And I think maybe two, three years ago now, we just really sat down and looked at our base and looked at our numbers. And we were like, we need to completely focus everything on the home gym user. That's our bread and butter. That's who we need to cater to. You know, it's the best margins, the least amount of warranty issues, and it's where we can really succeed because it's, you know, these commercial, these commercial gyms are really hard on their gear. And there's a reason why they need to buy, you know, really expensive stuff because they need that extra finish, you know, leather finish or whatever, and because they're going to destroy it with all their athletes working on it every day. 
you know, 24 hours a day. So yeah, we realized our bread and butter is the home user. Yeah. And I guess that was a perfect timing, very fortuitous of you guys to focus on that. Because I would imagine the other spaces got to be in. I don't know if they got hit hard as well. If the, there's a shift of people who are selling to the commercial gyms now, like refocusing on the home user or how that entire industry has shifted in that space, you'd probably have a little more insight than I would. And there's a lot of different layers to this. Like there would be, you know, some of these publicly traded companies that would be focusing on, you know, rec centers and stuff like that, which I'm sure they took a hit because the commercial, the really commercial stuff, you know, like the stuff you see at the YMCA with the weight stacks and, and whatever, nobody's really going to buy that for their home gym. And I mean, some people will, but it doesn't make a ton of sense. But a lot of our competitors who were kind of the same space as us, like same product, but just like beefier i think they just easily were able to pivot their product line into the home user and probably didn't even really have to adjust their price as much people just wanted you know couldn't really get their hands on anything and wanted to get you know a higher end product and went with those so i haven't seen like you know a ton of data on it but uh, of course yeah the commercial stuff is or the real big commercial guys would be taking a hit now, one thing I want to segue into is your site's built on WooCommerce, which is not a very common thing for my guests. Talk about how long you've been on WooCommerce, what that's been more like, how do you like it, everything about it. Well, it's a real double-edged sword. I'll tell you that. I was just complaining about it a few hours ago. I started on Big Commerce in the very, very beginning. I think I was on them for maybe five years. And I can't remember why I switched to WooCommerce. I think Big Commerce had maybe jacked their rates up or I don't know, I just didn't like dealing with them anymore. And I met this developer and he kind of sold me on the woo dream and he got me onto it. And since then, yeah, it's been very much a double-edged sword. I love that I can do absolutely anything with it. I love that it's totally in my control. Just the thought of having a, you know, Shopify or big commerce, just, you know, be able to dictate what I sell and shut down my store if they think I'm doing something crazy. Like when they banned all the firearms retailers or whatever, and they all have to migrate. I just can't get over it. And a bunch of the functionality too is just so far ahead. It's a little clunkier, but way more functionality and way more cost effective. I mean, now that I have an in-house developer, not so much, but yeah, the downside of it being is it just takes so much more maintenance and there's so many, seems like there's so many more bugs. I guess I've never, I don't really remember the big commerce days. I mean, my site was a lot less sophisticated, but it seems like every week something's kind of going a little bit wrong and we struggle with speed. Like always, always speed is a, a big issue. So I don't think I'll ever switch. I've got a new site that we're hoping to launch within the next month or two here. That's going to be a lot faster. And yeah, I, I don't know if I was starting all over again, I would probably start with Shopify, but I'm sure glad I'm with WooCommerce now. Oh yeah. You love it, hate it, but you still think it's the best option for you guys. I think it's the best option out there. I mean, unless you just, you know, have a couple SKUs and some simple requirements, like just the level of sophistication that you can do with it, you know, is such a competitive advantage. You know, even one of my leading products is called the Garage Gym Builder, which is just a, a kind of like a bundled product, but it walks you through, you know, choosing a bench and choosing a rack and choosing a bar. And as far as I can tell, there's not a great comparison to it on Shopify or other platforms. I mean, that entire function is going to be integrated and rolled out with an entire new product line that couldn't like operate with a different system. So it's almost like tied into my products now too. So with WooCommerce, is this like an extension that you pay for, you download onto your own hosting platform, or do you work with them as a hosting solution? 
Oh, yeah. So WooCommerce is like a plugin or an app, I guess. And you install it onto a self-hosted WordPress site. WooCommerce, I think, does offer peripherals like, uh, you know, they have, I think they offer hosting now too. I'm not totally sure. You just get their plugin called WooCommerce, which is free to use. And then they make their money by, I guess, hoping that you will come and purchase their custom developed plugins, but you don't have to at all. So all the costs are just self-hosting and whatever plugins you want to run. Yeah. So what are some of the plugins that you'd be running on your store? So the the most powerful one for me is that WooCommerce Composite Builder, which is what is used to build uh, your garage gym on the website. There's a product called Garage Gym Builder, and it has a functionality to, yeah, like I said before, pick each product per section. It's kind of hard to describe verbally, but that product generates most of our revenue, uh, most, a lot of our revenue. So that's an example of one. Another big one is just bundles. Their product bundle system is really sophisticated and it works in conjunction with WooCommerce Composite. So you can get just these really cool detailed packaging systems, which works really well for me because a lot of our stuff is sold as packages. I'd say those are the two of the most powerful. Yeah, nothing too crazy. I'm trying to think of something else I use a lot of. Yeah, those would be the two most powerful ones. But even like I started or I've always used freight carriers on my website and, you know, it's always been a pain to quote people freight because none of the freight companies really have you know a great system like say ups does and then one of our recent freight carriers had an open api and somebody had developed a live freight quoting system plugin that you could put into woocommerce so all of a sudden now i can offer customers uh freight quoting at the checkout which is huge because of course our shipping is crazy and freight is a lot cheaper once you get over a certain weight limit so yeah i think that would be a good example of three of the most powerful plugins i have on the site so you talked about your rebuilding, relaunching your website. What changes are you doing? Kind of walk me through that process of building a new store. Speed was a big thing. Categorical structure was big, but the biggest driver was just a bit of a refresh and a speed improvement. You know, our site has just been around for so long that stuff has accumulated in the database and it's just kind of slow. So we're rebuilding it from scratch with speed in mind and a whole bunch of really customized product landing pages. And our category structure is a huge thing too. I was never big into categories. The WooCommerce system was kind of a bit clunky and there's this you know, whatever new system and it, yeah, just way better for structure. And even we developed a custom feature where if you're on a category, you can click a little button that says what's in stock and it'll remove everything that's not actually in stock, which is a big complaint we get. Nice, man. I know there's a lot of headaches with a, a new store launch, storefront launch. We did one last year and kind of just went backwards in theory. We just uh, went with a the default theme and, you know, so like, well, this is what it can do. Just try to figure out how to sell within their framework. And I think a lot of e-commerce owners, sometimes they can get a little too caught up with what the store needs to do and you know, keep it simple, keep it focused, can probably give a more simple focused solution for your shoppers as well. You know, like, you know, your, your shoppers probably aren't going to invest all the time and energy to learn all the bells and whistles, no pun intended, <laughs> of a, a website, but that's not always true. You know, like, uh, are you guys doing any kind of like live chat or, or online phone calls to help support your shoppers? Like after the pandemic, we'll probably roll something like that out. But right now, no, just don't have the bandwidth. Yeah. Sweet, man. Well, where can people learn more about you, learn more about your business or get in touch with you? Yeah. I mean, bellsofsteel.com, bellsofsteel.us. I have a personal Twitter I don't really use it though. I don't even know what my handle is. So if you want to get in touch with me personally, I guess send a message on the website and somebody will redirect it my way and I'll say hello. Unless you're a cold caller, then I probably won't. <laughs> 
Well, I enjoyed uh, catching up with you and hopefully uh, we'll be able to uh, touch base at a future ECF Live one of these days. Thanks for um, sharing your story. As always, our listeners, I hope you learned something new, took a nugget from this. Cheers. Keep on growing. Cheers.